This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Gen Z Money. Today, we're talking about 10 financial goals to achieve in your 20s. And I have joining me today, my friend Ryan. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Thanks for having me, Azaria. It's good to catch up, as always. Yeah, absolutely. So just for anyone listening, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Um, yep. So my name's Ryan and uh, financial advisor assistant. So working in a financial planning firm in Melbourne. Been there for about two years now and uh, basically have finished my uh, financial planning degree as of this week and then will enter into my professional year starting hopefully in the next month or so and um, go from there. Perfect. And what got you into personal finance and financial planning? Well, a bit of a long-winded story. I guess um, when I f- finished school, um, I wanted to be a chiro. Um, so I went and did a year of chiropractic and then decided it wasn't for me. From there, I transferred over to entrepreneurship in business and um, took a personal finance subject in that and found it really interesting and just a really good way to understand like, well, what's my tax, what's my super, how do investment works, just basic things and basic financial concept and um, got me interested in it. Um, so I took a super subject. The super subject basically had an assignment where I had to go and submit a, kind of a strategy piece for financial advisors to a professional and the professional looked over it and said, hey, you're pretty good at this, so do you want a job? And I was like, yeah, sure. Went to the FPA Congress later that year and had a ball and met you and um, a whole bunch of other That's students good. at the time and yeah, just got into it from there and love helping people with money and um, we try to help our clients, you know, with a good amount of money, um, hence why financial planning is reasonably expensive, unfortunately. But um, just if any way I can help, it's it's always a, a nice outcome, helping clients and helping people with money, you know, deal with income expenses, dealing with, you know, how do, they, how do you build wealth and how do you manage it? And uh, yeah, just really enjoyed helping people with money. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure from your experience, there's you've had a lot of experience in helping people achieve their goals. So that's what we're here to talk about today. We want to talk about 10 financial goals that you could aim to achieve in your 20s. So just starting out, Ryan, did you want to take off the first one? Sure. So first financial goal to achieve in your 20s um, is just to steer clear of any personal and consumer debt. Um, so the goal that we've written down is... By age 30, you don't want to have any personal debt. And what I mean by personal debt is you've got debt that is related to credit cards, car loans, or personal loans that relate to like general spending. That could be like, you know, a $10,000 loan from uh, a bank to go and, you know, pay for a holiday. We'll obviously talk about holidays later, but um, just having debt for consumer spending is something that we try to instill in our clients is it's a bit of a no-no i guess if you can have that debt shifted elsewhere into you know investment debt or if you can have it even in hex debt i guess is not a bad thing but just steering clear of personal and consumer debt i think is um, a good way to start Yeah, absolutely. And you'll often hear of people referring to good debt and bad debt. So bad debt is that stuff like consumer debt, um, credit cards, personal loans and all that kind of thing. But then you also have HEX, 
Um, the opinion of most people is that hex isn't necessarily a bad debt because there isn't your traditional interest being added to that debt. Um, so going into your 20s with hex debt, I don't think is a bad thing. Um, and then also other types of good debt that you might have is a, a mortgage or let's say, as you mentioned, an investment loan as well. So definitely understanding the difference between good and bad debt and which ones you actually want to be bringing with you into your 20s. So number two here, we've got understanding your super. So what do you mean by that? So typically what happens is, is that you have people that, you know, go from job to job, especially when they're young. Like say, for example, with me, I started in a restaurant and then started working in a cafe somewhere else and or I worked in a retail shop and, you know, you have a whole bunch of different super funds and you don't really become conscious of it or aware of it. It just so happens that, you know, you have one fund there and one fund there. Um, I think having a clear understanding of, you know, who your super fund is, um, what your balance is and what you're invested in is a really great starting point and foundation for building wealth while you're still working. But then also once you retire, um, it's a really great starting point to have that all consolidated, have it all in one place, know where it's at, know what it's invested in so that then you can sort of springboard yourself up through 30s, 40s, 50s in preparation for retirement. Yeah, absolutely. From a balanced perspective, I think it's probably a good idea to have anywhere between 30 and 40. Um, uh, as a general guide, if you can have 40 grand by the time that you're 30, um, you're definitely in a great starting block. And, you know, if you compound that out, that works out to be about 360 by the time you're 65, mm-hmm. which is probably not going to be enough to sustain you in retirement but still it's a great starting point to get you there and then if you know you've got a partner then that's you know seven hundred thousand so will last a lot longer but yeah i think having forty thousand by age 30 and also having it consolidated and a general understanding of where it's at is probably um a good starting point yeah and i think a great exercise for anyone listening is to actually just log on to your super fund have an idea of how much you've got and set yourself a goal for how much you do want to have in super by 30. so i did this a couple of years ago and i calculated how much um, i would expect to receive from my employer and how much i could actually be adding myself so you can actually add additional money to your super um, whether that be through salary sacrifice or just adding extra contributions throughout the year so that's something i've always liked doing so for example if my fortnightly pay is, let's say, $1,850, I'll just have that extra $50 put into super each fortnight um, just to keep building that up on top of that. So I don't know if that's something that you, you often do, Ryan, and you see with your clients as well. Uh, yeah, we do. So, I mean, with younger clients, obviously, there's a bit of an assessment on if I'm going to put money into super, how long will it take for me to actually access that super? So obviously with first home super saver schemes, that makes it reasonably short term in comparison to, you know, putting it into super and it's there until you're 65. But making extra contributions, especially um, spouse contributions, they're a big one because they help with um, tax deductions for um, income tax returns, which is great. Um, And then if, you know, you have a need for a tax deduction as well. You can put in some money into super, claim it as a deduction and then go to your account and say, hey, I've um, put some money into super. Can you take that off my income for the year? So, again, it's it's a question of just understand it, get your head around it and make sure that you put yourself in a position where you're really springboarding a really strong account for the time you get to retirement. 
Yeah, absolutely. So number three we've got here, getting in control of your cash flow. So cash flow obviously means things like your income, your spending, your savings and all that kind of thing. Why do you think it's important to get in control of your cash flow in your 20s? So one of the best business people that I've ever worked for said that cash flow is king. Basically, you can have a big asset base, you can have lots of liabilities, but if your cash isn't there to support it, you're going to have nothing in a short period of time. So I think a really good foundational goal for anyone, you know, listening to this podcast or, you know, is just about to retire or, you know, is tens of millions of dollars, understand your dollars in, understand your dollars out, and then from there go and spend the rest. Um, Too often we see people that, you know, they get $1,000 a week in pay, they go and spend $600, but then they come back and they go, oh, I've actually got my car rego coming up or I've got a big, you know, car repayment that I'm going to make or I've got something faulty has happened in my house so I need to do a repair of some kind and they don't have the sort of cash buffer to deal with that because they've failed to plan the dollars out before they've gone and spent. So I think understanding what comes in, how much of that needs to be saved or kept for your expenses outside of your spending and then going and spending the rest is a really great starting block. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what really got me in control of my spending was instead of um, paying the bills, spending your money and just saving what's left, actually treating your savings as a bill and that being a fixed expense and then you can spend whatever's left over at the end. So ways to get in control of that, I think first of all is just to write out what your bills are, have a good understanding of what your expenses are and what it costs you to live. And then um, you could even do something like having a spreadsheet uh, budget or maybe even checking out the Glenn James spending plan, which I know a lot of people use to get in control of their cash flow. Um, what about you, Ryan? Have you ever used or checked out any of the cash flow apps? Yeah, we do. So, with some of our clients, for example, we use um, we've used MoneySoft before. My Prosperity is another one that we use. We also have used for just normal cash flow tracking. We use Frollo, which is another one. Money Brilliant's another really good app. But even now, like the banks are starting to get their heads around. Um, money tracking and figuring out well if you pay a bill then it automatically allocates it Um, so I guess it's just checking with your bank to see whether or not they've actually got that technology yeah I know in the past I've used um, pocketbook and money brilliant I've just checked that out and they're just little apps that you have on your phone and they're really fun for getting an idea of what your expenses are and being able to categorize them and I have seen that um, that as you said there are a few banks I know upbank commonwealth bank they all are starting to bring in that stuff so I think that's going to be much more widespread in the future which is awesome yeah I agree Perfect. So for number four, I've just put down use protection, um, which isn't what it sounds like. I mean, I'm sure that's good advice generally anyway. (laughs) But what I mean when I say that is um, getting your life insurances sorted out. So if at some stage you can um, have access to a financial advisor who will be able to help you um, build a bit of a life insurance plan, that's a really, really great thing to do in your 20s. So I know for myself, I really value having life insurance. And what that usually consists of is Uh, life insurance, which is a lump sum payout if you were to pass away that goes to, um, for example, your dependents. TPD insurance, which is total and permanent disability insurance, which will cover you with a lump sum payout if you were never able to work again. 
We've also got trauma insurance, which will give you a smaller lump sum if you were to have a critical illness event. So, for example, a heart attack or cancer, um, it provides some lump sum money there. And then also income protection. So if you were unable to work for a period of time due to illness, there is a insurance product that will pay you up to 75% of your income per month. Usually that does vary. Um, but having something like that in place, whether it's paid personally or through your super is definitely a really, really valuable um, asset to have in your 20s. So if you can chat to a financial advisor and see if that is a good option for you, I think that's a really great start as well. We could even also mention under um, being protected is having an emergency fund. That's a huge way to almost uh, self-insure in a small way is making sure that if you were out of work, let's say, for example, many people experienced that during COVID. If you have an emergency fund that can cover, let's say, three months of your expenses, you're less stressed about what would happen if you were out of work or if you did have an injury as well. So do you have any guidelines that you have around how much you should have in an emergency fund? Generally, three to six months is the the guide for emergency savings. But if you don't understand the point above, which we discussed, which is you know your cash flow and your dollars in, dollars out, it's going to be pretty hard to determine what a three month um, emergency plan or emergency savings um, goal needs to be. So understand the cash flow first figure out how much your expenses are, and then I would say three to six months. If you really want to be careful, then go and do 12. But yeah, generally the rule is three to six months. Yeah, agreed. Number five, do you want to take on number five? Yeah, so we've written down plan but being nimble. So as my dad always says, five Ps. So prior preparation prevents poor performance. So Mm -hmm. It's always good to have a plan and we have sort of written down that it's if you can write down a one-year goal and a five-year goal and figure out a way to actually do that, to have a plan in place to achieve those goals, um, that's a really good starting point. However, don't be so tied down by that goal. I guess it's really easy for something to pop up and your goals change. So if you're constantly reviewing your goals as you write them down, that's really good. Yep, I totally agree. Um, I was recently moving moving into an apartment. Uh, so I was packing up my room and I'd had a list that I'd written down on my wall of general goals um, over two years. I find that one year is too soon for me. So I always go for a two-year goals plan. Um, and when I was moving, I had a look at the list and I was like, oh, I actually did knock off a few of these things without realizing. I think there's a really big power to actually writing down your goals and putting them on paper and especially having them somewhere you can see. Um, it's a great reminder of what you're working towards. So I know for myself, whenever I'd get home, from work and I'd be tired and I didn't want to do any more extra work or personal projects, I'd look over at that list, which was right next to my bed and think that list isn't going to achieve itself. Um, So I definitely agree. Constantly reviewing your goals um, is a really, really important part of your 20s. Then for number six, we've got here, um, be on the way to achieving one large financial goal that will help lead you to financial independence. So what does that look like for you and for a lot of your younger clients, Ryan? Generally, everyone in Australia wants to buy their own home. So uh, saving towards a goal of having a home deposit um, is generally the way, the, the way to go for most people. The way that we would then determine that is by the time that you're 30, pick a dream house and have a 10% deposit saved for that. So let's say, for example, you want to buy a house for a million dollars, you should have 
at least 10% of that, so 100,000 saved by the time you're 30. Uh, obviously, depending on your, your income levels and where you live, that's going to vary. But if you can have 10% by the time you're 30, I think that's a, a really great starting point. Um, I know that you've also put down um, some other types of financial independence goals. So, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no problem. So uh, definitely house deposit, buying a house, as you said, a very popular goal um, and great to be working towards that. I know for myself, I don't actually have plans to buy a property, but I think regardless of whether or not you want to buy a house, having a big financial goal in place is really important. So for myself, that's a leveraged share investing strategy. So um, some people have a mortgage for a house. I have a some kind of a mortgage for shares. So that might be your strategy or it could even be to start a business. That could be your big financial goal. So if you just have one big financial goal in mind that you're working towards, regardless of um, what that looks like, I think that's really, really valuable. And then we've got number seven, Ryan. Did you want to take on number seven? Yeah. So sort of contrary to a lot of the other things that we've sort of mentioned above, but um, build experiences is probably one of the biggest things that we need to do when we're in our 20s because as your parents will always tell you, like you're, you're young once and um, you need to make the most of it. So my goal that I would have written down is to at least travel overseas once by the time that you're 30 for at least three weeks um, and that excludes a family trip. So um, going out on your own or with a friend for at least three weeks overseas I think is a really great goal for anyone um, under the age of 30. Um, just It teaches you a lot about yourself, teaches you about what you like, what you don't like, um, makes you want to plan for more future travel in the future. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a really achievable but also a really good learning and growing experience to do by the time you're 30. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Prior to COVID, obviously, my goal was 30 countries before 30. Yeah, and I thought I was on my way. It. Yeah, that's kind of thrown a bit of a spanner in the work. So maybe not, maybe not such a cool number. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. There's nothing for myself, uh, I know, more enriching than travel. Um, and I'll also add to that outside of just travel. I found there's really um, great value in just not growing up too quickly. Sometimes doing things that are a bit childish and fun. For example, recently just went lime scootering around the city like a child. Um, doing things like indoor trampolining, not, ma- not being too cool for any of that fun stuff um, that you might have enjoyed in your teens or in your childhood. Um, just keep building experiences because it's only, I feel like obviously neither of us have kids yet, Ryan, but I imagine it's, it gets harder to do those things as you get older. Yeah, it would be. And I mean, I guess the one thing that we want to have is when we get older is not have any regrets. So um, if you can do whatever you want to do now and, and say that, you know, I live with no regrets and I did all the things that I wanted to do, I think that's a really great starting point. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Another thing we've got down here is to always be absorbing and constantly learning. So what is that? What do you mean when you say that? So um, I wrote down, have a, be a consistent podcast listener. So I know that people that are listening to this are obviously listening to podcasts, which is a great start. So just absorb as much information as you can while you're young. Don't be um, so rigid in ideas and be really malleable to whatever's going on. And that means, you know, educating yourself whether that's you know formal with a qualification or if you know you go to uni or if you're in TAFE um, or even informal just like you know listening to podcasts I think it's a really great starting point um, for growing your horizons growing your understanding of how not only money works but how the world works 
and then also just talking to people as well i know that we've got another goal down below but we'll talk about a little bit further but i think it's a really great experience trying to just absorb as much information as you can and learn from the people around you yeah absolutely and I also think um, reading books even though I'm guilty of not really ever finding the time to sit down and read yeah, uh, listening to audible or ebooks is another really great way to absorb information and the way I see it um, for us being in our 20s in our early 20s there are people out there who have already experienced a whole life and they've had these amazing lessons and they've made these mistakes. Why wouldn't you choose to absorb that knowledge directly from them so that you can avoid making those mistakes in your 20s and you can start taking inspiration from them? So absolutely agree. Um, podcast numbers on Spotify are just off the charts. Um, any spare moment I have, if I'm cleaning, if I'm driving, if I'm cooking, there's got to be a podcast on. Well, and, and then also on the books um, comment as well, worst case scenario, if you don't read the books, you've got a nice library by the time you get to age 65. So you can sit in front of a fire, have all of your books on a bookshelf and you know, <laughs> say that you're really intellectual and really smart. Exactly. And by that point, books will be will probably be considered very retro and very vintage. So you yeah, look super cool. Exactly right. <laughs> Awesome. So for number nine, we've got down here, start investing. And I know we're both pretty passionate about that one. So do you want to take that one off? Yep. So I would suggest that for anyone under 30, the the goal should be to own shares in at least one direct company by the time you turn to age 30. Now, I know that shares are not everybody's favorite choice of investment. Normally it's property, which I totally understand. But I think having one share or one ownership in a company is going to set you up for a really great understanding of how business works in the real world and really help you understand, you know, or give you access to financial statements and income statements, understand the incomes and outgoings of businesses and just their kind of decision-making process, which I don't necessarily think you get with index and ETF funds, which I know that you've written down as your preferred method. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally uh, understand all those points and can get on board with that. Um, for myself, I think I'm just a bit more of a lazy investor. I just want to have my money invested and keep it pushing. So for myself, index funds, ETFs and managed funds are definitely the way that I go about it. Um, but I don't think there's any right or wrong way to start investing. I know for a lot of people that are just starting out, if you only have a small amount of money, um, you can start investing with anywhere from $5 now with the introduction of things like micro investing apps. So some of the popular ones out there, such as Raise, Spaceship, Comsec Pocket, all that kind of thing, um, that is still a way to start investing, even if it is with a small amount. So I think the hardest part, and you might agree with me, Ryan, I know for me, the hardest part of investing was actually just starting uh, mm. and just choosing where to start and actually getting it done. So once you kind of start with a small amount um, and you get that out of the way, it's a lot easier from then on to get some more confidence, have a better understanding of how it works and start to build up a, a larger share portfolio over time. Yep, agreed. And then let's go into the last one, uh, number 10. Do you want to take this one? Yeah, so um, sort of mentioned it before, but um, have a strong circle of influence. Um, and I've written here, by the time that you're 30, you'd want to have a mentor, um, an influencer and a compatriot. So what I mean by those is a mentor is someone that works with you sort of day to day and helps you achieve your goals, helps you grow and um will help you achieve the things that you want to achieve. I've written an influencer because you want to have something to aspire to and something that you say, 
uh, I see that person and I see the way that they're doing it and I would like to do it not necessarily the exact same way but in a similar vein to the way that they're doing it. And then also a compatriot in the sense that, you know, a friend that you go to for anything that's related to, you know, your goals or your money or um, just life in general, just someone to, you know, bounce ideas off that isn't going to be judgment and there isn't going to be any sort of questions around, oh, why are you doing that? Why are you thinking about doing that? And you want them to challenge you but not challenge you in a sense that it deters you from doing the things that you want to do. I think having those sort of three people in your life will really set you up well for whatever is to come in the future. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I also find there's really, really great value in having a group of friends that are open to talk about goals and are open to talk about personal finance. And if you're someone out there who um, perhaps your friendship group aren't so open to that or if they're making uh, poor financial decisions in your eyes, I think another really great alternative is um, there are so many online communities. I'm in bunch I'm in a bunch of Facebook groups and I think you're in some of them as well Ryan for example some um, Facebook groups of Australians that want to retire early Um, there are Instagram communities of uh, debt-free communities on Instagram and lots of people on Instagram talking about personal finance so if you can't get that access to that kind of support um, and open dialogue about money and goals in real life turn to social media there's some really great communities online as well There is that saying that you are the product of the five people you surround yourself with the most and I definitely agree with that. So if you've got people in your life that are really building you up and they're working hard on their goals, you're in turn going to start to do the same. What do you think about that, Ryan? Um, There is a saying similar to that where it's show me your five closest friends and I'll show you your future. Um, I think it's Mm. reasonably true but also understand those five people that you have in your life, who their friends are as well and who their five people are as well, to understand broader scope of the kind of people that you're dealing with. Having those five people and then having their five people as well is a really good starting point to see well, where you're going to grow in the future and whether or not it's looking good or it's looking not so good. Um, and the question is if it's looking not so good, how are you going to address it and potentially change it if that's the, the correct answer for you? Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Well, that kind of rounds off our list of 10 financial goals to achieve in your 20s. And I just wanted to close this one off by saying, I think the best thing you can do is completely detach your goals from everyone else's. So there's the standard um, idea of what success looks like. And I found that for me, the most liberating thing I ever did was detach myself from that. Um, So I know when I was 18, I was saving so hard to buy a house uh, for two years. I didn't see my friends. I didn't spend any money. I was so hellbent on buying a house. And then one day it occurred to me, I actually don't want to buy a house. I'm just doing this because I feel like I have to. Um, And that can apply to you for any goal that you may be working on. Um, Just reassess just assess your, all of your goals and see which of these goals are mine um, and which of these goals are coming from outside influences and which ones do I want to work on. There's nothing wrong, I guess, with, you know, wanting to go to festivals and wanting to go on holidays and have a good time while you're young. So while we think these are a good 10 starting points for propelling yourself into the future and having a reasonably wealthy lifestyle, there's there's nothing wrong with, you know, going through your 20s and just living life and enjoying it and figuring out what you like and just going from there. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's definitely a balance that you can strike there of being able to do both. I think it's unhealthy to go, you know, on, on one end of the spectrum either way, whether that be, you know, always partying and never thinking about the future or only thinking about the future and not living in the present. So striking that balance is probably probably one of the biggest goals we could we could add in there. Yeah, 100% great. Awesome. So I think that summarises pretty much everything we wanted to talk about today. Well, thank you so much for joining, Ryan. These were some great tips and I'm sure everyone's going to get some great value from it. Yeah, no worries. Thanks so much for having me. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.